uh, to praying fervently and faithfully uh, for our missionaries and church planters. Let's pray together right now. Lord, we look to you. Uh, you are where our help comes from, our hope, uh, our wisdom. We look to you alone. And Jesus, we do think of uh, those who, who you have sent out, who you've called to go and to make disciples of all nations. And we pray for them, Lord. We pray that you would strengthen them and help them, provide for every need that they have, deliver them from the hands of evil men. Lord, um, fill them with your spirit and um, give them boldness to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that through our church, as we partner with these church planners and missionaries, we would see an amazing work happen in our time. People being saved, people being transformed and changed forever through the gospel. And thank you, Lord, that we get to participate in that. And uh, we love you, Lord. We honor you in this place. Bless this offering as we give it uh, for your kingdom here and around the world. In Jesus' name.
Good morning, everyone. I'd like to start out by telling you a story uh, about a young boy. And this boy's name is uh, Tyler Dewin. And Tyler was like any other eight-year-old. Um, he loved going to his grandparents' house. And his grandparents were not people of much means. They actually lived in a small one-side trailer. And, um, but he loved being there because he was always around family and friends. And there was always joy and happiness in that house. And so it was no surprise that Sunday evening when his mom came to him and said, Hey, Tyler, we need to go home. He said, No, I don't want to leave. I want to stay. And... Mom was like, no, I got to work the next day. I have to work tomorrow. It's Monday. And he's like, no, Mom, I have off for school tomorrow. It's a holiday. And so she relented, and she let him stay. And so Tyler Dewan stayed with his grandparents that night. And in fact, there were nine people who stayed in that little trailer that night. And they all went to bed, and while they were sleeping, there was an electrical fire in that trailer. Taylor was the first one to wake up. And as soon as he woke up, he alerted everyone in the trailer and began to get them out. And he had successfully gotten six people out of that trailer. But there was one more person that he had to go back in. He had gotten his grandmother out, who he loved, but he loved his grandfather. So he went back in to the fires of the trailer to save his grandfather. But he never came out. After the fire was put out, the firefighters found Tyler next to his grandfather's bed, with his arms underneath, trying to lift his grandfather up because his, hand, his grandfather was handicapped and needed to use a wheelchair. There's no question, no question that Tyler loved his grandmother. There's no question that Tyler loved his grandfather, whom he died next to that night. He died because he loved them. He died saving them. And there's no doubt in his grandmother's mind that Tyler loved him. We have a heavenly father who loves us so much that he sent his son to die in our place so that we could have life. 
our God has an amazing love for us that he would die to save us. And as we continue in our study in Romans, we're in chapter 5, and in the study of Nail It Down, Paul is going to speak to us about that very thing, about our God who loves us so much that he would give his very life to save us, and that the only response that we could have is one that would overwhelm us into a single response. So let's pray as you turn to uh, Romans 5. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are here, that you're with us. I thank you for giving us your word, your truth. I pray that it would lead us and guide us into knowing you, into knowing you and having an eternal relationship with you, with the God of the universe who loves us so dearly, who loves us so dearly that he made a way by having his own son die in our place. I thank you for Paul who you instructed and inspired to write these words so that we could know firsthand. I thank you for Paul, who was your enemy, and yet you made him your child. I thank you that while we were still your enemy, you died for us so that we could be your children as well. Help us to understand your word. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So as you get ready to open your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 6. just want to remind you who Paul is. Uh, Paul is... Uh, the apostle who was named Saul, and when he was Saul, he was a persecutor of the church. He hated the church because he was a Pharisee, and he believed that Jesus was a false Messiah. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And so he was persecuting the church, and one day while he was on the road to go take more people and put them in prison because they believed in Jesus, God, the risen Savior, appeared to him in a flash of light and blinded him. And he was blind for three days. And after three days, a disciple named Ananias came to him and prayed over him and laid hands on him. And in that moment, his physical and spiritual blindness was taken away. He was baptized, and he became the Paul that we know that wrote this book. And so I'm reading in Romans 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him, from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You can write this down if you're taking notes. That God demonstrates his amazing love by Christ dying in my place. As we look at this verse, it starts out, it says that while we were still weak, what it means is while we were still sinners, while we still had a sin problem that we couldn't fix. At the right time, at the perfect time in history, Christ came and he died for us for ungodly, sinful people 
like me and like you. In verse 7 it says, For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Now, I had a hard time with that one at first because I didn't quite understand it. I thought, well, I thought maybe a good person was better than a righteous person. I always think of like self-righteous people. But what he's saying is that in his mind, a Pharisee, a righteous person, is someone who obeys all the law and does everything right. And a good person is someone who does not even just that, but above and beyond doing everything right and obeying all of God's law and never sinning, they also do good and kindness to other people. And so he's making the case that you might even die for that kind of a person if given the opportunity. But God, he says in verse 8, but God, that's always a turnaround. I'm never going to see that in the Bible, but God. God is so unlike us. God's logic is not our logic. God's love is not our love. God's love is beyond what we can even comprehend in terms of love. And that is what he's going to make the point. He's telling us God shows his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are sinners. Our sin earns us the death penalty. While we deserve the death penalty, while we were still sinning, earning that death penalty, Christ died for us. He took the death penalty away from us. The other thing we should notice here, too, is it says that God shows his love. And this is correctly translated here in shows is a present tense. Show isn't. He showed his love by Christ dying on the cross. No, God shows his love. God continually shows his love. He showed it at the cross, but he continues to show that love even today. It was not a single event. It is an ongoing love that he loves us with. Now, I want to paint a picture for you. Um, I don't know if you're married or not. Maybe you're not. But I want everyone here to um, imagine that you're married. Okay? And I want you to imagine that you're married to a schmuck. Now, don't roll your eyes and look at your spouse right now. Because okay? I'm going to paint a really, really bad picture. Imagine that you are married to the worst person you can imagine. Imagine that you are married to someone who says they don't love you, but they love someone else. Imagine that they say, and it's not just one or two people, they love several other people instead of you. And they're having affairs with all of these people. Imagine they tell you that they hate you. Imagine that they hate you so much that they say they hate your children because they look like you. And if they have a chance, they're going to slit their throats in the night because they hate them just as much as they hate you. And if you don't do things the way they want, they're going to slit your throat because they hate you that much. That person is you and I before we came to know Jesus Christ. That's who we were. We were lovers of other gods. We loved money. We loved power. We loved sex. We loved whatever we decided we wanted more than God. That is who we were. And we hated our other people in our family, other brothers, sisters, people that 
are in our workplace. We hated them so much that we wished they were dead. We were murderers. That is who we were. And yet God says that he showed his love. Well, that's who we still were. That's a love we can't understand. You know, this is, this is the week for Valentine's Day, right? And so um, we all show love at Valentine's Day, right? So I want to talk a little bit about what, what love looks like in our society, right? This is what love looks like for our love day, Valentine's Day. Happy Hearts Day. We got two little squirrels there. And then you open it up, and the two little cute squirrels are on a red heart-shaped um, acorn, right? And it says, wishing you the little surprises that make this a beautiful day and the simple joys that will make life wonderful for you and everyone you love. Nice. How about this one? Is this love? Happy Valentine's Day. It's, you can't see from there, but this is two volcanoes. And one volcano is saying to the other volcano, I lava you. <laughs> and you open it up and it says, I lava you lots, love and kisses. This is what our society says love is. We also give each other candy. Yeah. All right? <laughs> I'm with you. This is getting way closer to love than I ever thought, right? But this isn't love. Love is sacrificial. Love gives of oneself. Love thinks of the welfare of others before they think of themselves. Love in this verse means that God in Christ thought of you first and your welfare. God in this verse means Christ going to a cross. Love means Christ going to a cross while you still hated him and you did not love him and you loved your sin more than you loved him. There's no question that Tyler, that eight-year-old, loved his grandmother and grandfather because he demonstrated it. And our God demonstrates his love to us at the cross. But you know, he also pours that same love into us I want to go back to a verse we read last week, actually in uh, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5, just one verse back from where we started. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured out into us in the way that it means, it means it's so poured out that it's spilling over. It's spilling onto other people the way that God loves us and pours that love into us. And so God shows us his love not only at salvation, but God shows us his love through others who believe in him. And I've known this love firsthand, not just the love of salvation, but I remember a time when my mother had passed away and my small group loved me and my family. They loved me and Terry in such a way that they brought us food to our home. And then when we were at the funeral home, they brought food to me and my sisters, my extended family, and cared for us. And many of you support Terry and I in Romania and support us even as we get ready to go back. So God continues 
to pour out that love in so many ways. It's continuous. Biblical love means placing the welfare of others before your own. How have you done it that this week? Or perhaps even this month? Have you been able to show sacrificial love at home to those whom you love? Maybe here's a couple suggestions. Maybe you want to go and talk to Jane at the safe house out in the gym after church. Maybe you want to go to the Work for Christ booth and speak to someone and find out ways that you can serve and show love to others. I'm sure they'll help you find a place. Perhaps it means you just need to make a plan. After all, it's going to be Valentine's Day, right? But let's make a plan to show real, sacrificial, biblical love. Because if you don't make a plan, it's likely not to happen. God's love is not cheap words. God's love is sacrificial love in action. Let's look at verse 9. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You can write this down. Not only does God demonstrate his amazing love by Christ dying in my place, but by Christ saving me from God's wrath. We've talked about this before, that justified is a legal term. It's a legal term used in a courtroom. So God is the just judge. You are the one who is being condemned. And yet Jesus is the one who steps in dies on the cross in your place, and his blood covers you. That's the atonement. But now that his blood covers you, God looks at you and sees his son. He sees the righteousness of your, his son because his son has taken your sin and placed it upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for you. So now when God sees you, he sees you just as if you had never sinned justified. God is making the argument that if, if God would give his own son to die in your place to justify you through his own blood, how much more would he not save you from the wrath of God? And here he's saying, shall we be saved? That's future. What he's talking about, I believe, is the great white throne judgment that we find in Revelation chapter 20. And there we see a picture of God seated upon the throne, and everyone comes before him, large and small, everyone who's ever lived and ever died. And as we get there and approach that throne, there are books that are opened. And the first book is the book that speaks of everything you've ever done. And as that book of your life is read, it will be apparent to everyone, even yourself, that you have sinned and you are a sinner. But there is a second book. And that second book is the book of life. And the book of life has the names of everyone who chooses Jesus Christ as their Savior. Everyone who 
makes a decision that Christ has died for them. Because you see, at the cross, Christ took on the punishment for our sin. Not only did he take our sin, but he took the wrath and punishment for our sin. Because there is punishment for sin. And if your name is not found in that book, if you have not known Jesus, then it says that you are condemned to the lake of fire. But I want you to know that this is not the outcome God desires. God desires and wishes that you should never perish, but that you should know him. And in fact, he loves you so much, that's why he sent his son to die on a cross. That's why he went to those lengths to take your wrath upon himself so that your sin could be covered. His deepest desire is that no one should be condemned. And I say this based on 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The choice is yours. You can choose Jesus and what he has done for you on the cross and believe that he has done that for the forgiveness of your sins. Or you can face a just judge. Even though God has done all the work up to this point, there's still something we have to do. We must make a choice. We must make a decision. God has demonstrated his love through the death of his son. His part's finished. It's now a matter of individual decision. Salvation, forgiveness of your sins, must be embraced by faith. God desires to have a relationship with you. But you cannot have a relationship when only one person is willing to say yes to that relationship. Have you made that choice? Have you invited Christ into your life? He wants to have a relationship with you. And that relationship will be filled with life and with hope. I made that choice when I was a, a senior in college. You see, before then, I was actually someone who was a, a binge drinker and got so drunk I didn't know how I would get home sometimes. My neighbor in the dorm had uh, basically a pornography store, and you could go there anytime you wanted. And so that was a part of my life. Until one day, when I was driving to work, a man went through a stop sign and I hit him, and there was a fatality in that accident. At that moment, I had thought I was a good person. I really did. Because I thought I had done enough good things to outweigh those bad things. I thought that in my religious system that I grew up in, that all you need to do was penance, punish yourself a little bit, and that would make your sin go away. But I realized at that moment, because of how guilty I felt, even though it was an accident, that there was no penance, nothing I could ever do that could make that sin go away. I needed a savior. For whatever reason, I decided to find a Bible and I began to read. And I found the savior, Jesus Christ. Because I had hated God so bad 
for making me someone who was condemned to hell, thinking I was a good person. But God found me through that Bible. And he taught me that he loved me and that through Jesus Christ, he forgave me. Because I never was a good person. And I needed a savior. Your story may not be as emotional or as crazy as mine, but is every bit a miracle. When God sees you wherever you are and you realize that you need him, that you are a sinner, that you need to be saved, that there's no way you can make your sin problem go away, he performs a miracle and takes you from death to life. Christ wants you to say yes to that. Now, some of you might say and argue that, well, hey, um, I'm okay with this because I actually don't believe in hell. So God's not going to send me hell because I don't believe a good God would send anyone to hell. Well, I have a little bit of a problem with that. Because if God is a just God and he decides that some mass murderer or maybe even some crazy dictator who was into ethnic cleansing and had whole tribes of people killed, that he says it's okay for them and the, the murderous drug dealer to go to heaven and not have to repent or receive the punishment that his son took for them, then I don't know if I want to be in that heaven. We don't even want to have sex offenders living on the same block with us. Why would we want to live in a heaven that's filled with those kinds of people as well? Sin is not meant to be in heaven. And a just God is just because if he judges them for what they have done and punishes them, that's what a just God does. That's what a just judge does. What do we call a judge who lets everyone come in front of him, all of the criminals, and he lets them all go and pardons them all? We call that a corrupt judge. That is not who our God is. And our just judge, God, can also look at those whom he desires and to show them mercy. And he can show them mercy because they have believed in Jesus Christ, his son. And because when they believed in Jesus Christ, his son, the punishment that they deserved fell upon Jesus. He had taken it for them on the cross. And so he was still just because the punishment is still paid but he places it on another person. Some of you may say, well, my sin is too big. My sin, my sin is too big for, for God because you know what? Um, I can't even forgive myself for the things that I've done. Uh, maybe I need to clean myself up a little bit before I come to God. You know what? God says no to all of that. God says, you can't do that on your own. God says, come to me, filthy and wretched, sinful. And I will make you whole. I will forgive you. Because I love you. And I've made a way for you to come back to me. 
God isn't worried that our sin is so big that he can't handle it. God doesn't have some big scale up in the sky that says, sin-o-meter. And he places that sin on there. He's worried, oh gosh, I hope this sin isn't so big I can't deal with it. No, that's not our God. God can deal with any sin we have. God's love at the cross is far, far greater than any sin any of us can ever commit. It is when we realize the depth of our sin and the depth of God's forgiveness that we can fully understand the depth of his love. Let's look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we, ha- we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. <clears throat> you can write this down as well. God demonstrates his amazing love by Christ dying in my place, by Christ saving me from God's wrath, but also by Christ saving me by his life into a relationship. Now, let me explain this for a minute because I actually really had a hard time understanding this when I first read this. And I suspect some of you are too. When I first looked at this, and what I had to write down to was saving me by his life. I don't mean he gave his life, he died. We've already actually talked about that. I mean, he saved me by his life. He rose from the dead. He's there. He's sustaining me. I have life in Christ. I have life in Christ who has given me the gift of a relationship with the God who created this universe. I have been made right into a relationship with God himself. And I can speak to him. And he hears me. He knows my voice. When I am in difficult times and trouble, he hears me and he comes to bring me comfort. That's what I want you to have in your mind as we go through this. Paul is making a shift. We just talked about justification, right? We were in a courtroom. But now he's talking about reconciliation. Reconciliation is something that happens between two people, right? It it means you have a relationship. And so now he's moving to talking about us having a relationship. But what happens when you have a conflict in relationship? It's difficult, right? It's a lot of hard work. Somebody's been offended. Maybe both people have been offended. And it's work to find your way back to a place where you can understand one another. You have to to be willing to be humble and to listen. You have to be willing to listen and forgive. And as you do that hard work, reconciliation comes. Your relationship is restored. God created us for a relationship forever with him but it has been broken because of our sin. God is making a way for us to have life in Christ. Paul is making an argument that if we were, while we were still hostile toward God, God looked at the entirety of our sin and made a way for it to be forgiven through the death of his son on the cross. 
not only saved us by the life of his son. And Jesus not only died at the cross, but he was buried for three days and came to life again. And he did that to show us that he has the victory over sin and death. And that comes from Revelation chapter 1, verses uh, 17 and 18. Jesus says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus has overcome death and Hades to give you life. But he also wants you to enjoy life in a relationship with God. That's why we see this contrast here in verse 10 about the death of his son. And then much more, we've been reconciled and saved by his life, by his life into relationship, life in Christ. If we look at Colossians, let's go to Colossians, and it's uh, chapter 1, verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in us. He is the hope of glory. His, he is our hope to heaven. Listen, Jesus is alive today. As we get to, go through Romans, we'll come to Romans 8.34. And Romans 8.34 speaks of Jesus being on the right hand of the Father. And he is interceding for us. Jesus is alive today on the throne next to the Father, praying for you daily, interceding for you. And not only that, he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill us with understanding so that we can overcome temptation when it comes. 1 Corinthians 10.13 reads this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God wants us to stop thinking about the temptation and he wants us to think about his spirit and life in him. You've heard me say before that um, the, the angry man, if he wakes up in the morning and he says, I'm not going to be angry, and then he keeps saying throughout the day, I'm not going to be angry, I'm not going to be angry, I'm not going to be angry. Sure enough, before that day ends, he will be angry. That same man who believes in Jesus Christ, who has the spirit, needs to consider the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Oh, kindness. He needs to wake up that day and say, I will show kindness. I will show kindness today. And if that is, that is his mantra throughout that day, he will show kindness. God created us for eternity. He created us for a relationship with him. For all of eternity. Christ has come to reconcile us and to restore that relationship. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know the God of the universe? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you trying to fill that longing with a relationship with someone else or something else? 
I'd like to read um, a quote. Actually, this is from a secular psychologist. And um, so you can take it for what it's worth. But there is some sense of wisdom here. And um, he's talking about marriage. But I think this actually relates to our relationship uh, with the Lord. This is John Gottman. And he says, like the second law of thermodynamics, which says that in closed energy systems, things tend to run down and get less orderly. The same seems to be true of closed relationships like marriages. My guess is that if you do nothing to make things get better in your marriage, but do not do anything wrong, the marriage will still tend to get worse over time. To maintain a balanced emotional ecology, you need to make an effort. Think about your spouse during the day. Think about how to make a good thing even better and act. Again, that's John Gottman. I believe that it's similar for us in our relationship with God. We've been saved into relationship with the God of all the universe. But if all we do is come and we are saved and we stop there, I think that the same thing happens. Our relationship begins to break down. We begin to start to move away. And though Jesus and God are forever faithful in that relationship, we soon find ourselves being unfaithful because we are not working on it. And in fact, there's something wrong with someone who comes to know the Lord and yet doesn't continue in that relationship and grow in that relationship. As disciples, we need to walk with Christ to grow that relationship. If we're not 10 years, 20 years down the line and we are still the same maturity as a new believer, there's something wrong with that. And if you have decided to turn away from that relationship and walk away from that relationship, God is calling you back. He loves you. He sent his son to the cross to die for you. And even if you're walking away from that relationship, he wants to have you come back and maintain it. It says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sin, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's talking about our relationship with him. When we step away and we sin, we need to confess that and come back to Jesus, come back to the Lord, and he will restore us in a right relationship with him. God has done the work so that you can have a relationship with him, and he's faithful forever to that relationship. Don't allow yourself to drift and to be unfaithful to that relationship. Walk with Christ. You can walk with Christ in your small group. You can walk with Christ by reading your Bible. You can walk with Christ by spending time in prayer. You can walk with Christ by investing in that relationship. And if you do, you will be greatly rewarded. Verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Uh, you can write this down as well. God demonstrates his amazing love by Christ dying in my place, by saving me from God's wrath, by Christ saving me by his life into relationship. Therefore, 
I will rejoice and glorify him forever. The argument that Paul is presenting here is that God loves us so much that he's demonstrating that love. He's demonstrated in such a way that he gave his own son to die in our place. And not only that, that he should take the punishment that we deserve, the wrath for our sin, he took upon himself. And then he gives us life and a relationship with God forever. When we grasp the forgiveness that God has given us, when we grasp the depth of our sin and what Christ has done for us, there's no other response to say, yes, I want to come to you, Lord. And if you know him, there's no other response than to say, hallelujah, glory to him. And that's what this says. Rejoice, the same word could be said as glory. Our right response is to worship him for what he has done. Jesus went to the cross so that we could experience God's love and forgiveness firsthand. When we grasp that, we are moved to worship. We want to praise him. In worship, what we do is we say, you are worthy, you are more, I magnify you, and I am less, I humble myself before you. And I will choose to praise you even in the difficult times because I know how much you love me. I know how much you've done to save me and to care for me. And so that is why even in difficult days and difficult times, we can praise him even more and all the louder. And so that is my challenge to you this morning. Understand the depth of what God has done for you and how much he truly loves you. And worship him with a full and thankful heart. Eight-year-old Tyler Doolin's grandmother will never question if her grandson loved her. She knows he did because he demonstrated it. While we were still enemies of God, God showed us love by Christ dying for us on the cross. Let's be honest. If you were my enemy, I would probably not be sending my son to die for you. I would say death to my enemies, life to my son. But our Heavenly Father loves us so much that he said, life to my enemies, death to my son. Freedom and forgiveness for my enemies, punishment and wrath to my son. And after three days in the grave, God said to his son, life to my son and everlasting life to my enemies who embrace him by faith. The work of my son, that they would embrace it, they would have life. God says, I love you. I will pay the price. I have done the impossible to save you, to have a relationship with you. The choice is up to you. If you've not made that decision to believe in Jesus and the work that he's done for you, then I beg you to make that choice today. He's offering you forgiveness of sin, peace with God, and everlasting life. 
if you have made a choice to follow Jesus and you know firsthand that demonstration of love, then that should move you to worship him all the more and to rejoice and to glorify him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for your son whom you loved so dearly. And yet to make a way for us, you chose to have him come in our place and that he who knew no sin became our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that the death sentence that was upon us would fall upon him, so that the punishment that we deserve, the wrath we deserve, would fall upon him. And beyond that, you chose to give us life in the Son, life in Christ. We are so thankful. Thankful for the way, the depth of our sin that you have forgiven so that we can know the depth of your love. Lord, may we rejoice in that and glorify you forever. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. stand together.
Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. There are refreshments in the gym, and we'd love to have you join us there and speak with uh, some of our leaders. But also there are people that are coming front, and uh, they're here to pray with you. So if you have any need, they would love to pray with you. And also, too, if this is a day that you've decided that you want to follow,